0: Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to discipleship and putting scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the communications director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of approximately 1,000 churches in Kansas and Nebraska. As the title of this podcast suggests, I'm not ordained clergy, so what I share comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 20 years of experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teens to 90-somethings, and I'm excited to share what Scripture has to say to us in today's society, and I love to tell stories of how people live their faith. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes include interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. And other episodes include some short reflections on Scripture. Thank you for joining me. This episode is going to be just a little bit different than our previous broadcasts. What you're about to hear is a follow-up discussion to podcasts in the spring and summer of 2020 in which we talked about racial justice in the aftermath of the death of George Floyd. Now today I have two excellent guests. The female voice you'll hear is the Reverend Dee Williamson, District Superintendent of the Salina and Hutchinson Districts. And as of July 1st, she'll be the new Director of Clergy Excellence and Assistant to the Bishop in the Great Plains Conference. The male voice you'll hear and you'll be able to tell it from mine because his is far more eloquent, is the Reverend Robert Johnson. He's the lead pastor of St. Mark United Methodist Church in Wichita, the largest predominantly African-American church in our two states of Kansas and Nebraska. Listeners of this podcast may remember Dean and Robert from previous episodes in which they shared their stories of racial profiling and discrimination. During Black History Month, I wanted to touch base with them again and see how their ministries have changed in the nine months since George Floyd's death. So what's so different about this episode? Well, with the extensive help of Eugenio Hernandez, our conference's multimedia production specialist, we've launched a video version of In Layman's Terms. Now, it's not going to be on video every time, but our goal is once a month, at least for now. We'll provide a video of the interviews that I do for this show. But we felt like this was an important topic to address, and we thought these two guests certainly deserve to be seen as well as heard. So we decided to start with this episode to try our new video experiment. If you just want to hear what they had to say, then just stay tuned to this podcast and you can hear our entire recording in just a moment. If you want to see the video, head to www.greatplainsumc.org. Now, here's my discussion with Dee and Robert. You both shared some fantastic stories of your uh, experiences with police. Uh, and a lot of other things. I don't want to dwell just on that one aspect. When we talked way back, it seems like a long time ago now, in April. I'm sorry, not April, in June, uh, in June of last year. Both of you have been very active in the realm of racial justice, and particularly visible since the death of George Floyd and the protests that happened after his death. I wanted to give each of you just a few moments to share what your ministry and what it looks like involving racial justice over these past nine months. Dee, I thought we would start with you. Tell us a little bit about what you've been doing in your role as a district superintendent.
1: Well, first Todd, thank you for having me and uh, having me on your show and uh, this opportunity. And since uh, George Floyd's murder uh, in May, um, I continue to work alongside the uh, Salina branch of the NAACP uh, as the uh, uh, religious affairs coordinator as well as I was just recently put in as one of the vice presidents of the Salina branch NAACP. Uh, we continue to work alongside the community and community endeavors uh, bring more awareness uh, about racism even in towns the size of Salina. And uh, so over these months we have really uh, initiated Uh, establishing ourselves at a lot of the community meetings uh, around policing uh, and police violence uh, in our own community. Um, Though we are in the middle of the United States, there are issues in some of our smaller uh, county seat towns uh, like Salina. Um, And so we've been trying to really uh, address uh, the uh, mission of the NAACP when we look at policing and how it's done. So uh, I've also uh, been involved with trying to be the presence and a voice from the Great Plains uh, United Methodist Conference uh, on the issues of justice in this community and in the district as well. And we have really uh, tried to uh, get a good understanding of what justice looks like uh, in the area, Uh, not just Salina, but in the context of the Salina district and the Hutchison District, and we're starting some really good work. It's been long and complex work. Um, we know that the, the incident of George George Floyd and just seeing that video uh, still just disturbs my soul. Um, it's uh, It seems as though uh, we don't talk about it near as much as we did early on, um, and those things happen. Uh, I still think about uh, Emmett Till back in the 1950s when he was murdered down south, and you know how quickly that went away as well. But it, I think there's uh, some inroads, uh, and I have been willing to speak up and step up in the places uh, and situations that I find myself in here in Salina and beyond to talk about. You know, there are issues that we we can't just let the issues. Um, be smoothed over or not talk about it. Um, that's where we will, uh, when we're talking about these things, maybe we can find some common ground that we are all human beings and we all deserve respect and we all deserve uh, to have a good life. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, so that's what I've been up to. I've been up to a lot more too. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'll tell you about it here in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Robert, how about you? What does ministry look like for you since that Memorial Day weekend in 2020?
2: Oh, gosh, we've been in. I've been doing uh, a bunch of stuff. One of the things I've done is I've tried to uh, I believe in the importance of conversation. So I've tried to create platforms and opportunities for people to, to engage in conversation around the issue of race. I know that doesn't deal direct directly and explicitly with what happened with George Floyd, but I believe that what happened with him is a reflection of the racial identity and the racial uh, brokenness of our country. It's America's original sin, as some will call it. And I think that what happened with him is almost like uh, the the apex, apex of 400 years of racial history that just kind of manifested. And for some people, it was the first time that they really saw how serious the problem is. So what I've tried to do, number one, is to is to provide platforms for conversation. So I do that, I took my Wednesday night, which was basically a pastor's Bible study that had to go online because of COVID. I took that Bible study and turned it into kind of like an online conversation piece. So we do Bible study, but we also do conversations uh, with guests, and so I've had for the probably the last six or seven months, I've had guests on, and we've dealt specifically with the issue of race from a Christian context. So I had people on like Phil Vischer, uh, who was the creator of the VeggieTales, who it just so happens has all has gotten involved in the discussion conversation about race. He's done several videos. One of them went viral, had had millions of viewers where he talked about the economic disparities between blacks and whites in this country. I reached out to him. He agreed to come on. We had a conversation with him. We had a conversation with DL Mayfield, the author of the great book, The Myth of the American Dream. Uh, we've had on a pastor from Fresno, California by the name of Paul Swearingen. He and his wife, Ashley, his wife was his ex-mayor of Fresno, and they have been engaged in the white evangelical movement, but through experience as leaders in Fresno began to have this kind of awakening. And so they've gotten involved in the conversation about racial justice in new ways. So providing that platform for folks to come on and uh, have those conversations. Most recently we had on David uh, Swanson, uh, who is the author of the book, uh, 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 Rediscipling the White Church. Amazing writer, amazing book. So we've talked about Jesus and race. And and so and we've invited folks to come on to participate. So that's one way. The other thing I've done that I think is really important is that I've continued my work with Keith at Kansas Faith Interfaith Action, which is a political advocacy group. Uh, Rabbi Multi Reber, who's the executive director of that group, invited me into that work. Uh, at first, I resisted, but I am so glad that he talked me into it and got me involved. Uh, and the way I, I like to use Modi's illustration, what he said to me, he says, "You know, Robert." Um, as a pastor, churches typically do the work of spiritual transformation. You are, you, we get involved in the work of helping people to develop, to connect with God and have the interior life that it takes to live a meaningful life. And he says, and then sometimes churches get involved in missional work, which means, which has to do with taking the church's resources and allocating those resources, directing those resources to, to the needs of both our, our members as well as the community. He says, but at some point, if you if your people in your church are dealing with poverty, you can help them to become the kind of people who overcome that. You can also pull the church to direct the church's resources to help them. But at some point, you, you've got to ask the question, but why are they poor in the first place? And that's the work of advocacy. So we got involved in that work and uh, and that that's dealing with the systemic and political uh, legislative decisions that impact people's lives. So we're involved in that work and doing that great work. And uh, and as a part of that, uh, the conversation piece is extended because now I'm involved with KIFA and we have brought in a lady from uh, who I met in Texas by the name of Dr. Sean Macheco. And we're doing these online, we're doing these training sessions around racial reconciliation. As a matter of fact, we just started a training group with a group of Episcopalian pastors Uh, And it just started last night where we're taking them through a six week training on racial history, racial reconciliation. So those are just some of the things I know that was a little long, but very excited about some of the work that we have going on.
0: I really like that aspect of of getting a lot of people involved and getting to the root of the problem instead of the Band-Aid type of approach that, frankly, our country has done for a long time. Dee, you kind Mm -hmm. of did the same thing uh, with hosting a series of Zoom webinars with a bunch of people. Tell us just a little bit about that uh, project.
1: Yeah, uh, at that time, uh, as after George Floyd was murdered, um, I felt the need uh, that people really need to listen uh, to the black community. And um, I prayed a lot, and then I started uh, building a team around me to, to help us do a webinar to hear the black voices in the Great Plains Conference especially. Um, And so that happened this summer, and we did three sessions of that, a time to listen, because oftentimes people are talking, but nobody's listening. Uh, Or I find that uh, often when uh, people of color or uh, black and brown people talk, uh that it's it's not always listened to in depthly to the stories but people try to one-up a person in a story and so this was an opportunity for some of the black clergy in the great plains conference to share their stories uh the things that have happened to them um as black people living in this country and uh the fact that there are black people in kansas sometimes people forget that and we endure a lot of the things that happen even in urban centers it's just you don't hear a lot about it Uh, So that was really, really great. Uh, We had opportunity to use one of our retired elders, uh, the Reverend Dr. Rose Booker Jones, who uh, retired out of the um, Missouri River, I mean, excuse me, the Illinois River uh, Conference, but has roots in Wichita. Uh, She uh, came on that platform with me and uh, we called uh, several of the pastors whose voices we had not heard. Um, or, or that people are not familiar with, as well as some of our international pastors, because they also encounter uh, racism uh, in the communities that they are uh, pastoring in, especially our African uh, brothers and sisters who, uh, who are foreign born. Uh, they will eventually encounter the same things that us African-American folks uh, who were born into this uh, encounter. And so uh, we needed to hear their voices because their experiences are powerful. And sometimes when they have that first experience, it's like, "Whoa, what is this?" You know, we didn't experience this in our native country because everybody looked like us. You know, and so uh, coming here and serving in uh, a white rural context, uh, some people just don't understand what that means. Um, but you have to be able to transcend that and deal with some of the things that are uh, truly, in a sense, uh, created in the United States when it comes to race and Black folks. And so that was really, uh, really a powerful um, opportunity to hear those voices. We heard from uh, our bishop as well, Bishop Ruben Signs, came on our last one, as well as we had uh, voices that were Korean uh, uh, and Hispanic and uh, white, uh, but it was a really a powerful lesson, uh, I think, for the annual conference to know that we are here and we've been here the whole time. And and it's now it's time to to listen. We have two ears. You need to listen more than speaking. And so it was really uh, uh, I got really energized. I'm still kind of energized around around that uh, because we need to even do that some more, maybe to hear hear a follow up uh, like you're doing today uh, with me and Robert. So uh, it was it was a very powerful event. I also had worked with uh, uh, Dr. Uh, John Blackwell. Uh, We did a conversation about racism just between the two of us, and he shared a story uh, of his life in California when he first encountered the N-word, and uh, that was a powerful uh, story that he shared, and then I shared some stories as well about the first time I realized that the color of my skin was going to be a problem for some folks uh, when I was a 13-year-old a uh, girl growing up in Topeka. And uh, the little girl took my hand and looked at one side of my hand and saw that it looked white and the other side of my hand was brown. And she wanted to know what was going on with that. And I told her, that's just how God made me. And she was like, okay. And she kind of bounced off and skipped to the other room. And then that's when I it dawned on me that this world is gonna have an issue with the color of my skin. And I, I so long to remember the little girl's name because I wish that people would just see me as a human being, you know, that just so happens to inhibit uh, or, or, or uh, embody a brown body made in the image of the Imago Day as well. And so, yeah, it, it was a powerful, powerful season. Um, and it still is. It's we're still not done. So.
0: Thank, thanks for sharing that story. And thank you both for the work that you've been doing over these past nine months. We're going to pause for just a moment here in, in layman's terms for a break. When we come back, we're going to talk with Dee and Robert a little bit more. We're going to talk about what attitudes and actions they've seen change over the course of these last nine months since the death of George Floyd. We'll be back in just a moment. This Health Boost is brought to you by the Abundant Health Initiative of the United Methodist Church.
3: Get up, get ready. It's time for a Health Boost. Let's unite to boost our holistic well-being. Strengthen your spirit with this one-minute breathing meditation. Let's begin deepening our breath. Big breath in.
0: Slow breath out. Breathe
3: in. breathe out breathe out. to the present. Acknowledge this moment of peace you've been a part of and take it with you throughout the rest of your day. Smile and let the joy of healthy living flood through your body. Join us in creating Abundant Health for Everyone. Learn more at umcabundanthealth.org.
0: Welcome back to In Layman's Terms. I'm your host, Todd Seifert, and I'm joined today by the Reverend D. Williamson and the Reverend Robert Johnson. We're talking about racial justice and what's happened in the nine months since the death of George Floyd. I wanna take a few moments now to talk about what changes the two of you have seen, for better or for worse, uh, in the days since George Floyd's death. What changes have you seen, if any, in particular, in the way of white people like me, or I guess anyone for that matter, and how they have changed or actions that they've taken regarding racial justice matters here in the Great Plains. Robert, I'm gonna give you a chance to answer that one first.
2: So we, I think what I've seen is typically what happens is, is an event will happen and there will be an uproar. And then after a couple of months, uh, it dies down and people go back to business as usual. I think uh, the the, the the uproar that happened with, over George Floyd's death was probably one of the most significant uproars I've seen in my lifetime, uh, but we've kind of, in many ways, gone back to business as usual. I know there are many people that are doing everything they can to keep that from happening, and it's help, helping a little bit, but for the most part, the country has kind of gone on, and I think that that, manif- that has manifested in a couple of ways. Number one, I think there was a backlash to it among many whites in this country uh i think uh you know without getting into politics i think some of what happened with the election the presidential and uh, whether the the 2020 election i think a lot of what happened the results of that election uh uh, the numbers the voting numbers were a reflection of a kind of backlash against the uproar over george ford's death so i've seen that i've seen people kind of like digging their heels with more determination to not listen to the voices of black people who uh, who are decrying the brutality uh, uh, uh the, the tragedy of, of police brutality. But I've also seen uh, many white people who have who are awakened in that moment and have vowed to uh, to make changes. So I've seen more white people reading material that deals with racism. Uh, of course, since that time, the book White Fragility has just soared. Uh, there's a book by Ibram Kendi, Stamped from the Beginning, and How to Be an Anti-Racist, that his books have soared. So many of p- those books are being read and, and, uh, and explored by people of all races because people are dealing with the race problem. And that's a wonderful thing. The third thing I've seen is that I've seen some black people uh, that I think were kind of um, uh, oblivious or are downplaying the race issue. Who, have, who now have become aware of how severe it is. And I think it st- started with George Floyd's death, but then everything else that happened in 2020. And we could I could enumerate those things, but for the brevity of time, I will not. But many, many other things happened following that. And I think that a lot of black people have come into, the, into 2021 with a newfound awareness of how severe the race problem is and the fact that we can't ignore it, we can't downplay it that uh, just because we don't feel that a certain way doesn't mean other people don't feel a certain way. And that the only way we're ever gonna heal is we've gotta lean into it, we've gotta have the tough conversations, we've gotta do the tough work. So those are the three changes, three things that I've seen develop and happen with people on my end.
0: Dee, how about you? Uh, What what have you seen in the nine months since George Floyd's death?
1: Yeah, I echo a lot of what uh, my brother Robert has talked about a lot of white people reading lots of books uh, and uh, from White Fragility to uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Abram Kendi, uh, as well as some others. And uh, so, you know, that's all good and well. um, That there's a lot lot more opportunities for book studies, I've participated in uh, one where there's a group of uh, women here in Salina that were exploring what can they do better. Um, So, you know, just having those open dialogues and being invited to some of those those sessions and conversations uh, I've seen that a little bit more. I've seen also within our Great Plains conference you know the statement that the Great Plains made against uh, racism uh, that the the cabinet and the bishop and directors of the Great Plains conference has put out uh, and uh, I have seen that this annual conference has taken it seriously you know especially in the advent of uh, uh, the uh, uh, following um, George Floyd's uh, death and uh, that's a powerful statement and I think that uh, a lot of our clergy and our in our conferences real are they are really looking at that uh, and thinking about that and chewing on that and doing what they can do and asking more questions uh, in regards to some things around uh, racial justice in the in the areas that at least that I'm in so, Um, It's been a slow go, even in the Salina uh, Salina community, we have a a group of young people. Now that's where I've seen a lot more movement because they seem to be uh, risk takers. Uh, But this new generation, and I'm talking 18, 19 years old, uh, young folks going to college, they are not putting up with this stuff anymore. And so there was a Sunflower Coalition that was formed here in Salina, and they specifically want to address police violence. And so they have set out to do a uh, proposal to the uh, Salina Police Department in the city. And they have made a lot of headway uh, with the city um, reviewing their citizens review board. And it has been a powerful journey to see these young people Uh, bright, intelligent, uh, white, Hispanic, and black, get involved in, hey, things have got to change. And so um, that's where I've seen the most movement in the community. I think in in the ruler places, it's more of a challenge. And I don't think people really really get that because oftentimes you will hear the words, well, we don't have any black people out here. And I beg to differ. And I have shared this several times with people that if you have foster care in this state, you've got little black people out in these rural places. They just so happen to be three and four years old. So there are people of color in these communities. And so what are you going to do or what are you going to say to help this little child that's living right, among you, you can't deny that they are going to be an adult person of color. And so one of the things we've done in uh, the the Salina and the Hutchison district is uh, read uh, with the network leaders and uh, the networks, uh, Jesus and the Disinherited by Howard Thurman. And he asked the central question, what do the teachings of Jesus uh, say to the one who stands with their backs against the wall. And so they've really been trying to find out in their communities who stands with their back against the wall. What do this, the, the God? What does the gospel of Jesus Christ say to that person who stands with their back against the wall, even if they're four years old and they're in a little brown or black body? So uh, there's some movement there of, of understanding that this thing is really broad, uh, but there's ways to... To navigate this, to ensure that we are doing what God has called us to do, and that's that's to speak speak truth to power and to speak hope to the community, you know, no matter who who they are. And so, yeah, so that book gets me fired up when I start talking about it. So I'll I'll, I'll, I'll turn it over back to you, Todd.
0: Well, in, in, uh, something you said there, I want to hit a point here. Um, Garlinda Burton, who is the Interim General Secretary for the General Commission on Religion and Race for the United Methodist Church, we had her on one of our podcasts in 2020, and she said something that really struck me, uh, and I think I knew it intuitively, but to hear it said was so powerful, and that's that proximity does not give you license to ignore the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other right. words, she was saying you might have communities where there literally are no people of color. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean you have the, the opportunity to ignore what's going on everywhere else in the world. Uh, Absolutely. I want to throw that back at both of you and see what your reaction is to that and what, uh, uh, you know, what, if you agree with that and, and, and if you want to expand on it just a little bit. Robert, let's go back to you. Uh, what were your thoughts on that statement?
2: Well, yeah. So I I agree with the statement in general. I mean, I think it's a, I think it's an on target uh, and and insightful statement. I think that part of the challenge, I was just thinking that part of the challenge we have in, uh, in dealing with the issue of race in our times, comparing to uh, Dr. Howard Thurman, even the civil rights movement, those folks, uh, what they had to deal with. and, And in some ways, it's so easy to say what they dealt with was so much more severe. Uh, the violence was more consistent, more outward. The hatred was, was more vocal. But I think the fact that, that, that racism is more sophisticated now, that it's more hidden, that it's more, it's disclosed with all kinds of titles and, and labels more so than titles, more labels that is, that is harder to deal with because people get to hide behind it and then people get reared in the hiding. So that they are taught that that the way I live and the way I interact with people isn't racist, and so part of what happens is people think, well, you know, it's it's almost like you know the uh, the statement people sometimes get, well, I can't be racist. I have two black friends, so in some sense, that because I I have relationships with black people, I'm close to black people, I work with black people, I can't be racist. But sometimes the the most deep set, seated racism. And and uh, and hatred—not just racism, just general hatred, general uh, hatred for people who are different—is postured in people who are close to people who are different and close to people who are who are who are brown and black color. So uh, I think I, I love the statement. That's my, I had not heard that until you just shared it with me. Uh, but I think it's I think it's so accurate. Do you, you touched
0: on a little bit in your answer, but I don't want to cut you off I, either. Uh, is there anything more you have to expand on that
1: statement? Uh, no, um, you know, it's, you know we, we talk about we uh, are Christians and we, we, we tend to forget that Jesus was a Jew. And that's what I like about Howard Thurman, that he brings that up, that Jesus was part of the, the disinherited in a sense that, you know, he was a Jew, you know. And so for some reason we seem to take the Jewishness out of Jesus uh, all too often. And uh, But uh, we have got to remember that, you know, uh, not only was Jesus a Jew, and I just so happen to identify as a black American living in Kansas. And so I can't speak for all black people around around Kansas. I can't even speak for all Black people around the country. There's differences maybe from the North to the South, to the East, to the West, and the Midwest. I'm speaking from a perspective of a Black woman who grew up in Kansas, the middle of Kansas, Topeka, Kansas, the hotbed of the Brown versus the Board of Education. And so my perspectives, though we we have general um, commonalities, uh, there's gonna be some differences uh, too, but we all have, pretty much the same experiences in one way or another. Uh, but I know I can't add anything else to that, talk. Okay. Well, well uh, thank you very
0: much for, for, for those answers. Uh, we're gonna take another break here for just a moment. When we come back to in layman's terms, I'm gonna ask Dee and Robert to talk a little bit about, and they've touched on a little bit, but I wanna expand a little bit. What work is yet to be done? We're gonna be talking about that in just a few moments when we come back after this message. This health boost is brought to you by the Abundant Health Initiative of the United Methodist Church.
3: Get up, get ready. It's time for a health boost. Let's unite to boost our holistic well-being. Improve your flexibility, posture, and even your mood with this two-minute standing stretch. Okay, let's begin standing tall. Take a deep cleansing breath. First up, shoulder rolls. Roll your shoulders forward in full circles, loosening up any tension you're storing there. And now roll them in the opposite direction. Great! Next, head tilts. Face straight ahead and relax your shoulders. Tilt your head to your left, drawing your ear down to meet your shoulder. You should feel a nice stretch in the right side of your neck. Great! Now release and return your head to center and let's tilt to the other side a slow and controlled motion nice stretch in the left side of your neck perfect next is up down stretch reach both arms overhead stretching towards the sky spreading your fingers wide then bend at the waist and sweep your arms down to your toes rounding your spine keep a slight bend in your knees to support your lower back looking good return to standing position for side stretch Face forward and reach your left arm up high. Then, from the waist, tilt your torso over to the right. Keep your feet and hips stable as you stay active in that left arm, reaching over your head. Great! Now release, come back to center, and let's switch sides. Reach that right arm up and over as you tilt your torso to the left. Now the final stretch! Arm cross stretch. Reach your left arm forward and cross it over your chest, keeping it straight. Use your right hand to hug that left arm close to your chest and try to relax that left shoulder down, away from your ear. You should feel a nice stretch in that left shoulder blade. Good. Now release, and let's do the same thing on the other side. Extend your right arm forward and cross it over your chest. Use that left hand to support it. Nice work. You've enriched your physical wellness today by stretching and focusing on your health. Join us in creating abundant health for everyone. Learn more at umcabundanthealth.org.
0: Welcome back to In Layman's Terms. I'm your host, Todd Seifert, and I'm joined today by Reverend D. Williamson and Reverend Robert Johnson. Uh, we've made some progress on racial justice since the death of George Floyd. But the reality is, and we've talked about this a little bit, I think Robert, you touched on it. The U S news cycle ebbs and flows. And even though we've talked about it in podcasts on TV shows and read in newspaper and magazine stories all throughout last year, the reality is, this story is no longer on the front pages. It's no longer at the top of the newscast. So I want to explore what you think it still needs to happen to keep this topic top of mind and to make real progress. And we've touched a little bit on it, but it's a chance to kind of hit that home. So uh, Dee, let's, let's give you a chance to talk first on that subject.
1: Uh, so I, you know, uh, one of the things I think uh, we need to continue to do is uh, continue to have dialogue, uh, conversation, uh, honest, in-depth conversation about issues of race and the systemic racism that happens, the stuff that you don't see, uh, and the things that are experienced by uh, black and brown people. Uh, we we have to dig deep and listen uh, to their stories. Uh, we have to figure out what is uh, what is it we need to do uh, to change the system? Um, who are the people that have the power to do so? Uh, the voices at the table, we need those voices at the table to speak uh, to what needs to be changed uh, in collaboration and, and help. Uh, continue to help one another uh, live uh, in this world today as a, a very diverse uh, community. Um, we need to learn more about one another. Uh, to build relationships, we have to you know, make new friends um, and uh, not for sake of, oh, I don't have a black friend or I don't have an Asian friend, but some real true authentic um, uh, friendships and relationships need to be developed so we can learn that, you know, we're not so different after all. Uh, I mean, there's very little difference between uh, you and I, Todd, other than, you know, how much melanin I have in my skin uh, versus yours. And so, uh, you know, we have you. to. You're, you're tougher than you, I'll put it <laughs> that way. You know, I'll say this because I think it's, you know, it's not funny, but it's, you know, it's something, you know, all my life I've been looking for identity. Uh, for myself, uh, where did I come from? My my people were slaves. They were slaves in Missouri, uh, but they would come from somewhere else. And so, you know, I, I ventured out there and did one of those DNA tests and found out that I'm nine percent Scandinavian. And so, you know, I don't want to dis dis um, uh, dis account uh, all of who I am and what makes uh, D D. Um, but I'm, um, you know. African too, you know, with, without being foreign born, you know, Um, so, but we got to learn more about each other, our stories and, and who are we as a people, we got to trust that, that, you know, if we were all, if we are all made in the Imago days and we need to be treating each other right, you know, everybody deserves air, you know, to breathe. What gives another human being the right to take air from somebody else? That just blows my mind. Um, and so, you know, we've got we've got to be able to treat one another right. The other thing is, is we got to learn the stories in the community. You know, uh, even as as clergy, as we come into the community, what happened in this community? What are some of those racial problems that have happened that nobody wants to talk about? For example, uh, I have the privilege of being the coalition um, a lead for the uh, the Equal Justice Initiative that we have here in Salina. To acknowledge the fact that a young man by the name of Dana Adams was lynched in 1893, April 20th of 1893. And this community, when I came here the very first time in 2009, I was appalled that there was a lynching in Salina, Kansas. And most people don't realize that lynching came this far north. And even, even in more northern parts, there's been lynchings. And so knowing that story in the community tells me something about the community when the community does not know their own story. And so we have been uh, digging up all the stuff uh, so that we can help educate. So education, you know, and acknowledging and reconciling and, and coming together is like, hey, this happened right here. And why don't I know that? Why don't you know that? You've been here for 50, 60 years, and you don't know that a lynching happened or this happened or that happened. Uh, we have to continue to to dig for those stories so that we can educate one another uh, in, you know, what it means to really truly be a part of God's community. You know, we're not trying to shame anybody or the, or the names that were listed in those articles uh, or any of the officers that served or the railroad people or anything like that, but we need to acknowledge that that has happened. George Floyd happened as well as Emmett Till happened, Breonna Taylor happened and so many others afterwards. Um, These things are happening we dare not forget because we just keep repeating the same thing over and over again. So a strong educational piece and people just being willing and open to say, you know, yes, this ha- we need to acknowledge this so that we can move forward and so that maybe we will begin to treat one another better. So that's the work that needs to do. It's going to be long work, enduring work. And you're going to have to have what my great aunt Evelyn said. You got to have some gumption to live in this world. You know, so she was 100, 105 when she died. And so she had a lot of gumption and I come from her. And so you got to have some gumption to live in this great big old world. So we got to have gumption as people of God. We got to have gumption as preachers. We got to have gumptions of when we say that we are Christian. we've got to have some gumption to get along in this big old world and speak to the things that need to be spoken to. And we need to use whatever influence we have in the areas we have, whether it's in a a large town or a small town, you do what you need to do right then and there. Don't worry about other places. You do what needs to happen right there. If they got lead pipes in your town and they're, they're going into all the rental houses, then that's a justice issue as well. Because if there's children living in those houses and they're drinking water that is being tainted by lead, that's an issue. That's a justice issue. So I'll stop because I'll start preaching. Robert,
0: I want to shift gears just a moment and go to you. You serve in a fairly unique uh, context for ministry in the Great Plains Conference anyway, because you serve a predominantly African-American church. Uh, We just don't have that many of them in the Great Plains Conference. But I also know you're very active in the overall Wichita community. So in your context for ministry, what do you see as some signs of hope that we're making some strides on racial justice and what can people do to help to, to help us move forward on such an important topic?
2: So I see two signs of hope that I'd like to mention uh, just quickly. Number one is that I see um, among all races, black, white, Asian, that I am seeing an openness to the discussion about race. It, again, it started with George Floyd, although it, it, it died down a bit. Other news stories took over the election happened, uh, but people are still engage about the topic and they're open. And so there's an opportunity, there's a door still open for us to really lean into the conversations. And Dee mentioned, uh, mentioned it uh, as her first point that we've got to engage in tough conversations. And I think that that, that has to happen. And I'm, I'm hopeful because I see that people are still open to doing that, so I am trying to create as many opportunities as possible, or and participate in, in as many opportunities opportunities as possible, for us to engage in those tough conversations. I think that's so important. I mean, I could talk about why how we how that happens, but engaging in conversation. Number two is that I'm hopeful. Uh, Kansas, I think the population of Kansas is something like five six percent, and so. One of the things that I experienced, I grew up in the deep South, you all can hear that in my accent. Uh, I hate talking alongside Dee, cause she sounds so wonderful and I sound like a country bumpkin. But, uh, but I came here, I grew up in the deep South. I lived, uh, and then I lived in the Southwest for 27 years. Then I moved here, I grew up in Mississippi actually, uh, which is part of where my passion for racial justice comes from. Uh, but I came here, and I thought what I and I could, have been, I, could, I could have misread it. But what I think I saw was a lot of uh, African Americans here who were out of touch with the struggle with the racial issue. Uh, many, m- many of the black people I knew, here, particularly at St. Mark, which is an upper middle class black church, a lot of those were uh, empowered, uh, uh, privileged black people, and so the topic of racial justice was not something they were willing to engage in. Uh, they were not even willing to engage in gym issues of economic justice. But over the past year with, with George Floyd, with what happened under the Trump presidency, even many of them who were, when I got here, they, they are Republicans, but they have been turned off by many things that have happened that happened under the Trump presidency. And they interpreted those things at least as having something to do with racial and economic uh, injustices. And so now they are saying, what can we do? I, I don't have any answers. Uh, there are no easy answers, but the fact that people are asking that question is hopeful because we can do a lot, uh, Todd and D we can do a lot if people are asking questions. Mm
0: -hmm. That's definitely where it starts, right? People have to be curious enough to get involved.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, We're going to take one more quick break. We're going to come back to conclude our conversation. And when we do get back, we're going to focus on the next generation, uh, more specifically. I want to talk about what we can do to educate and prepare our children of today so that the adults of tomorrow live in a much more equitable world. We'll be back in just a moment. This Health Boost is brought to you by the Abundant Health Initiative of the United Methodist Church.
3: Get up, get ready. It's time for a Health Boost. Let's unite to boost our holistic well-being. Grind your mind with this two-minute creativity crunch. Let's flex those mental muscles with this first exercise, word patterns. Starting from the top, say aloud the color of each box as fast as you can. Go. Excellent. Now keep up that pace and say aloud the color of each word. Not the word themselves, but the color in which they appear. Ready? Go! Tricky, huh? This exercise improves concentration and attention-switching abilities by establishing new connections between the different hemispheres of your brain. Let's keep that mental sweat going with another mental exercise. This one's called Name Game. Name two objects that start with each letter of your first name. For example, if your name is Sam, you'll say six objects. You might say sailboat and star for the first letter, then repeat the process for the remaining letters. You can even switch it up by naming words in different categories like foods or cities. Ready, go. Congratulations! You've invested in your mental health today. Your fit and flexible mind is ready to face the day with energy and creativity. Join us in creating abundant health for everyone. Learn more at umcabundanthealth.org
0: Welcome back to In Layman's Terms. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. And again, I'm joined today by Reverend D. Williamson and Reverend Robert Johnson. I want to thank them very much for their participation here. Before the break, we talked about signs of hope. Uh, I want to look a little further down the road, though. I want to look to today's children and teenagers in particular. And I want to ask both of our, our, our guests here today, in your view, what should we be teaching them so the world that they lead looks better and is more equitable than the one that we're handing off to them? Uh, Dee, we'll let you start first with that one. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I'm sitting here thinking about my grandchildren uh, and they are that world that you're talking about and uh, my grandchildren um, from my son, uh, his wife is white, and I want them to be able to see positive images of of black people in extraordinary roles. Um, And I also want them to experience uh, people and stories. I, I love stories, uh, storybooks that with with children, uh, little boys and little girls that look like them. Uh, that's one of the things that lacked in, in my growing up. Um, and I, I want the parents to encourage their children to have all kinds of friends uh, that are Black, that are White, that are Hispanic and Asian and uh, Native American. And just build a diverse community around them, and to learn that, yeah, maybe you know this this country didn't start off all that great, but we are—they are the key to to pushing this forward, so that we can become that beloved community, you know, for for all people. Um, and acknowledging that, you know, though we may be different in uh, the colors of our skins, uh, we we are still God's children. We are all again made in the image of the Imago Dei. Um, and so I think parents are, are going to have to really step it up uh, for that generation, my son and his wife and, and so many others um, are gonna have to step it up so that you know, that we have teachers that look like our children, uh, we have doctors and lawyers and, and uh, uh, pastors and um, uh, grocery store, own, bank owners, all those kinds of things uh, while they are growing up now so that they know that in this world, they do have a place. Uh, and uh, that they can be um, powerful people. And so that's what I'm hoping for my granddaughters and my grandsons and, and other people's grand, grandchildren and children, uh, and that they are given an opportunity. Uh, again, I grew up here in Kansas, Robert, and the first time I saw a lot of black people in those types of positions was when I lived in Brooklyn, New York from 1982 to 1987. I didn't even realize that uh, it was impossible until I went there. And then coming back to Kansas, you know, it's like, okay, we've got to do a little bit better here to encourage our children and let them know that there is a world out there that it, there's, it's multi uh, cultural uh, and that they have a part and that they can be uh, involved in many, many things beyond what I, I saw. So
0: that's what, what, what I think, you, What uh, do you see for the next generation?
2: I love what Dee uh, has said. I, I think so. When Barack Obama was elected president, I rejoiced. Not, I mean, I, I was re- I rejoiced because I was glad to see that America had elected its first African American president. But what was really exciting for me was, I thought that it would it would it would break this this mental block in the minds of so many people of who we could be, period. And so I was excited because I said, oh, now there's a generation of young people who will grow up, who don't, who they can't, in the same way that I couldn't envision a world where a black, black person was president, they, they won't maybe to envision a world where a black person can't be president. And I was so excited about that. Of course, we've had this horrible backlash to the Obama presidency, and I'm concerned about what that might mean, but I use that story to say that that's what I'm hoping for, that we will continue to have, that America will continue to move forward, that those of us who are in our uh, 40s and 50s and older, that we will be engaged in the work of doing tough conversations. Uh, electing people into office, not because of skin color, but because of their character and who they are and and how they will make decisions for all of us, that we'll continue to empower people in such a way that the next generation will inhabit. And they will inhale a world uh, with a totally different perspective where we begin to move beyond uh, skin color and and all the other labels that we use to divide people will begin to move beyond that. And so I think that the part that I think the black people have to play play, as we do that work, all of us together, uh, I am saying to younger black people, hey, you know, we've got to have. And I remember Dee growing up in Mississippi, I remember uh, the older people would tell us, you know, if you were going to law school or if you were going to be a doctor or, uh, or engineer, that was you were you were like at the creme de la creme. You were treated differently than all the other kids because it was like you were to be a doctor or an attorney or an engineer. And and I thought we had gotten past that, but that we need that now more than ever because what I'm seeing a lot of the injustices that are happening, that that we've got to flood the system with more African American doctors so that when black people go in for health care, some of the poor health care right. they get is simply because there's a disconnection and people not feeling connected to somebody that's not a part of their culture, not a part of their clique. And it, I don't, it's not deep seated racism. It's, it's the same thing I do when a member, if a member comes in that I know very well, that person gets a whole lot more attention, unfortunately, than somebody that I'm, I'm just getting to know. That's just our natural, and I have to be intentional about making sure that that doesn't happen because the natural inclination is if it's a member that I ha- that I know very well, I'm gonna. Engage with that person at a different level so to flood the system with people of all colors and all kinds who will so that all people, people of all colors and all kinds would get the care that they need. And I'll let me stop there, I don't want to go on. so those are well, those thank are you two You're
0: kind of casting that vision for, for what the next generation might look like and, and goals. I really appreciate that. I want to say thank you again to Dee and to Robert for joining me. This is a bit of an experiment type of episode. It's been great to have them both on. Dee, I'm looking forward to working more closely with you come July when you're you're only two doors down from me, so beware. Uh, And uh, Robert, uh, trust me, you guys want to get on Facebook and find this man's Facebook page and St. Mark's Facebook page for those discussions that he's hosting. They're great, great stuff. I don't comment all the time, but I usually come in and listen every now and then for those. So I appreciate you both so much for taking part in this with us today. Uh, in Thank a little you. programming note, the next uh, episode of In Layman's Terms, we'll be back to an all audio version. My guest is going to be Oliver Green from the Topeka area. It's a familiar name for a lot of you. Uh, Oliver's highly involved in the Great Plains Conference and the former Kansas East Conference before that. He attends Asbury Mount Olive United Methodist Church in Topeka. And we're going to be talking to Oliver about what it was like for him growing up and becoming a man during the Civil Rights Movement and what similarities and differences he sees from that movement to what's going on today. So until next time, I just ask that you please do what you can to be better about knowing God, proclaiming Christ, serving others, and seeking justice. You might just play a role in helping change a life. In Layman's Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifert. If you liked what you heard in this episode, please go rate us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps other people find us. And please, if you feel so inclined, share us on Facebook or other social media. Our music comes via a licensed subscription with First Calm Music. You can find archive podcasts on my website, toddseifert.com, or via a link on the conference website, greatplainsumc.org podcasts. Feel free to email me any questions or suggestions to tseifert at greatplainsumc.org and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.